and they were scattered because there was no to shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wilder animals. My sheep wandered all over the uh, all over the mountains on every high hill. They are scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Surely, as I d- d- declare the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds who will hold them accountable for my flock. I remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As the Lord looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so that I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places that they were scattered. On the, day of the, on the day of clouds and darkness, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. There is ravines and all the sediments on the land. I will tend to them in good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel. With their grazing land, they will lie down in good grazing land. They will feed in the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend the sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Morning. We're mixing it up this morning and we're having two readings. Our second one is from Luke chapter 1 and it's verses 16 to 33. 26. 26, right. Good <laughs> In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. <clears throat> the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. G'day everyone, my name is Scott, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Praka. Great to be with you this morning. Um, great to have you in here too, kids. We've got some kids making some sheep masks and some kids making some edible sheep, so maybe later on we'll be able to have a look at them. Uh, let me start this morning and ask you, do you have a, a, a dream job? Something that if you were paid to do this for a living, you would just love it. Does anyone have something come straight to mind? What is your dream job? No one has a dream job. What's your dream job, Rosie? I'd like to work for the Bureau of Statistics. There you go. That's one answer I didn't expect to hear, working for the Bureau of Statistics. Um, anyone else have a dream job? Can I tell you about one? Uh, Luke, sorry. I'd like to make a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. 
I'd like to watch your Jurassic Park movie. Um, let me tell you about one of my dream jobs. There was a time in life when I really wanted to be a storm chaser. Uh, I never really pursued it, but that idea of like being in the midst of a wild thunderstorm or being right there just as a cyclone hits and the intensity comes or chasing the tornadoes around um, America, that kind of thing, it would be really exciting, wouldn't it? Don't you think? I mean, I say that now from the comfort and safety of this room, knowing that if I was in that situation, I'd probably be very scared. Um, That was one of my dream jobs, though, being a storm chaser. At another point in life, I thought I really would love to get involved in politics. Now, not because I've got a burning passion to be a Liberal Party member or Labor Party member or Greens Party or whatever it is, but I guess I was probably in my early 20s and I'd look around and think, oh, there's all these things about society that just aren't right and, and wouldn't it be great to see them put right? How could I help? How could I use my life to influence this world for good? I was thinking this. And, well, what do you do? You get into politics, right? Because those are the people with power. Those are the people that are able to do something about the problem. So, so, so that's what I should do, yes? And so for a while, I, I turned my attention to politics to uh, pay attention. And, and I've got to be honest with you. What I saw turned me off the idea. Um, what do you see in politics? Leaders come to power and they promise great change. That's why we're supposed to vote for them, right? They promise us that they're going to do this and they're going to do that and they're going to lead us into a better age where we're more caring, where there's better justice, where the needy are looked after, where there's prosperity for everyone. But the problem is these people come and they make these promises time and time again, but they never deliver. We'll try this. Leaders would come and leaders would go. Parties come into power and, and then the other ones in power. But no matter who the leader is, no matter what the party is, there's no real change. No leader brought us to that better age that they kept saying that they would. So pretty quickly, my desire to get involved died out. The idea of having someone lead us and, and lead us well, it's a great idea But the question I want to ask this one is, can it ever really happen? I reckon actually most of us have given up the hope of having a leader that's worth following, really following. Now in the lead up to Christmas here at church, we're looking at different promises that God makes about Christmas. And today we're going to hear another one of those. It's the promise of a good leader, one who is worth following. And the question we're going to ask today is, can God actually deliver on that promise? If you look at the leaders in the Bible, you actually see that they're pretty much down to a person. They're a bunch of failures. The leaders of God's people, time and time again, they prove themselves to be failures. Uh, Now, in the Old Testament, God's people are the nation of Israel. And for them, God was their true king. God was their true leader. But there's also an expectation for them that they will have a human king. I want to read a part of the Bible now. Uh, it's, from the, it's, from, it's called Deuteronomy, this part of the Bible. The Deuteronomy is like, it's like the constitution for ancient Israel. right? It gives them uh, their, their laws. It defines who they are, who they'll be as a nation, how the nation will run. And in one part of it, it describes what a king should be like. Let me read it out to you. It's a long chunk, but it's from Deuteronomy chapter 17. Here we go. As we read through, notice that the, 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 the king described here is actually a really good king. Here we go. 
says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and you've taken possession of it and settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who's not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be, oh sorry, I've missed it there for you. It is to be with him and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he might learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is a, this is a good king, isn't it? He's called to be humble, not to think of himself as better than the other people he's, he's in charge of. And he's called to be humble before his God too, to know the law, to write it out for himself, to keep reading it. But did you notice also this passage points to some dangers that a king or a, a, a leader can have? The, the, they're the dangers that these kings face back there. And it's actually, it's actually the same dangers that any leader, any person faces today. It's the dangers of sex, money, and power. Uh, for sex, sex, dangers of sex, he's t- told, don't take too many wives. Dangers of money, don't accumulate lots of silver or gold. Dangers of power, don't accumulate horses. Because back in that day, the bigger your, your army, the more horses you had in your army, the more power you had. This is the model of what a king, what a leader is to be like. A leader over God's people. And none of the kings do this. Throughout the 500 years where Israel is its, is it, has, it, has its own kingdom, there's over 40 rulers and all of them fail. There's some horrendous examples. Leaders like Ahab. He wanted to buy some land from one of his people. But this guy with the land, he was unwilling to sell to King Ahab. So King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, she gets a couple of crooks to come in and they make up lies about this guy who won't sell his land. They accuse him of blasphemy and in a kangaroo court, they find him guilty and that afternoon he's stoned to death. Also that King Ahab can claim a bit of land to grow a veggie patch. What a misuse, what an abuse of power. Or what about Athaliah? Her son was the king, Uh, but he died young and she had a great thirst for power. So rather than let the kingdom go to one of her grandchildren, she has all of her relatives killed so she can become the ruler of the land. Again, a great misuse, a great abuse of power. But even the best of Israel's leaders failed. We often hear of King David, and he's supposed to be the greatest king in Israel. But he was a failure too. He had many wives, which should already be setting off alarm bells in our heads. And yet when he sees an attractive woman one night, his lust takes over. And even though she's married, he takes her to sleep with her 
And then later on, he has her husband killed so that he can marry her. Even the best of these leaders are failures. And this is a really important thing to grab hold of here. The failure of these kings is not just a bad thing for them. The failure of these kings, it's not just a bad thing for them. It's actually bad for the whole of the nation. Because the character of the king shapes the character of the nation. Remember, this is a time when people can't vote you in and out. Once, once you're a king, you're there until you die. So most people going through life would have only really known two or maybe three leaders in their country. So can, can you imagine the extent to which these rulers have an influence over their people? In fact, well, here's a comment in one part of the Bible. There's a comment on a king called Baasha and his son. It says there, it talks about Baasha. It says, because of all the sins Baasha and his son Elah had committed and caused Israel to commit. And it's not that these kings are twisting the people's arms so that they'll go and sin. It's the influence they have, the influence of their leadership over the country. It shapes the nation so that now sin was the accepted norm in this society. These leaders failed and their failures affect the whole of society. And so God promised to get rid of them. This is what we saw in that passage that Chloe read out for us. God talks of his nation as if they're like a flock of sheep. And the leaders are supposed to be the shepherds. They're there to care for the sheep, to look after them, to protect them and, and, and take care of their needs. But they haven't done that. Instead, they've just looked out for themselves. So here's, here's a chunk of it again. This is God talking to the leaders. He says, you eat the curds and clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. This is not good leadership. And so God says to the kings, I'm going to get rid of you. He goes on. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, the leaders. And will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I'll rescue my, I'll rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Why has God got to do this? Because they've failed at being leaders, which is a failure not just for them, but for the whole of the country. Time and time again, we see in the Old Testament, Israel's leaders are failures. I wonder about today, what about today? Are our leaders today any better? Think about our federal parliament for a moment. Uh, Right now it's rife with allegations of uh, abuse and mistreatment, particularly of women within the, 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 the parliamentary place. Or our state parliament over the last couple of years have seen multiple politicians being forced to apologise, resign from their positions... Because they've misused taxpayer money. Or all back again to uh, federal politics. There's a number of, in the recent years again, low, lower level uh, politicians who've quit federal parliament because of the toxic environment that surrounds it. 
That's not just politics either, though, is it? Some people have said that the second most important job in Australia is being the captain of the Australian men's cricket team. What's happened to our last two captains? They've both been, they've both been chucked out amidst a big scandal. One from a sexting scandal, another from a cheating scandal. Our religious leaders have come up short too, hasn't the, the, the Royal Commission has been damning over the last couple of years the horror of those in power and then those who've used their power to cover up for their mates as well. Just recently, in the last couple of weeks, I read about a high-powered executive in the music industry who'd been there for ages and ages, and he's just been pushed out because he's been a bully the whole time he's been at the top. Time and time again, even today, we see leaders failing. And so I reckon, for most of us today, we've given up hope. We've given up on this idea that we'll actually ever find a leader who's worth following. Like... like a leader who really is worth following, not just one that you'll go to work for and and do your job for eight hours. But we've given up on this idea that there'll be a leader worth following to the point that we would change our lives for them. And that all sounds pretty pessimistic. But here's the big thing for the day. God promises to act. God promises to act. Again, we're back in Ezekiel 34. This is the passage that Chloe read out for us. God says that the the shepherds aren't caring for the sheep, the leaders aren't caring for the people, and so he's going to do something about it. Look at what God says. He says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God says, I'm coming. I'm coming and things are going to change. My people are going to have a leader who's good for them. In fact, actually, if you read the Old Testament, there's a few points in which this kind of promise arises. God says there's going to be a leader worth following, a leader who will do good. And one of these great promises comes in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, the book of 2 Samuel is it's like a history of uh, the time when King David was the king in Egypt. And in chapter 7, King David says, I want to do something for God, something big for God. But God turns around and says, no, 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 David. I'm going to do something big for you. And so this is part of what he says. Look at these words. This is God speaking to David. He says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, that is, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a great promise. No more churning through kings, wondering what the next one will be like, hoping he leads the nation in goodness. Now there's a king coming and he's going to be a good one because he's raised up by God. And his good rule is going to last forever. That's 
God's great promise. He makes this promise many years ago. And then about a thousand years after he makes this promise, there's a young woman living in the middle of nowhere, in, in an unimportant part of the world. And to her, an angel of God comes. And he says to her, you're going to have a son. I know you're not married. I know you've got no husband, but you're going to have a son. And your son is going to be that one. It's from the passage that Jen read out for us. The angel is talking to Mary about the son to be born to her, about Jesus. And the angel says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Friends, can you see why Christmas means so much to God? All those years ago, he's made these great promises. He is going to be a ruler that you can follow. And now, lying in the manger, is a baby boy who is that king, who is that leader worth following. After all the failures you've seen time and time again, here's the one. And make no mistake, Jesus is a good king. Jesus is the kind of leader that, that people have actually been waiting for, looking for. See, he grows up and people start following him because they realize actually he is worth following. And at one point in his life, then Jesus talks to the people about his leadership. And he uses that image from Ezekiel 34, the image of, of sheep and shepherds. And look what he says about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. Some leaders are like hired hands. They don't care for the people that they lead. They care for themselves. So when danger comes, when trouble comes, they just look out for their own interests. Have you ever seen a leader who that describes? Jesus says, that's not me. I'll take, Jesus says, I'll take care of my people, my sheep, no matter what. Even if it means me dying. And look, those aren't just words from Jesus. He actually does it. He follows through. He dies for his people. Doesn't care for his own good. He cares for our good even higher than his own. Jesus dies for our ultimate good so that we can have everlasting life with him as our everlasting king. There is so much more to say about Jesus and, and, and the beauty and goodness of his leadership. But now I just want to spell out a couple of implications for us. Let me start by saying this. It's actually, it's really hard to follow someone, like properly follow them. It is. You know, think about this metaphor. If, if life is like a journey and I'm driving through in my car, it's hard to let someone else take over and, and drive. It's hard to take my hands off the steering wheel and let someone else take control over where my life is going to go. 
it is actually very hard to follow someone properly because there's so many what if questions you have, right? Like, what if they're wrong? And I follow them in life, but I just end up in a bad place because they didn't know what they were talking about to begin with. Or what if I do follow someone and they turn out not to be that good at all? They aren't in it for me. They're in it for themselves. And they use their power over me for bad. They, they, they take advantage of me and mistreat me. You see, it can be really hard to properly follow someone in life because we have all these what-if questions. And so generally, we don't actually follow anyone in life. We pick and choose bits and pieces from all over the place. We take what we want, and then we chart our own course through life. And so we never actually follow anyone because if we did that, that question, it keeps burning away inside us, you know. What if? What if? Look, if you're here today and you're not really into the whole Jesus thing, this whole idea of actually giving up your life to follow Jesus, I get how that could seem a bit reckless. You know, what if Jesus is wrong? What if Jesus isn't good? What if you can't trust him? But also, what if he is good? Well, what if he is someone you can trust? What if, what if Jesus really does look out for your interests, even to the point of dying for you? What if Jesus is that one you can trust? So I just want to say to you, if you're here today and you're not into the whole Jesus thing yet, can I encourage you, why not, why not try getting to know him a bit better? Why not see if he is the one that you can follow, that you want to follow? Why not, keep doing, why not keep coming back to church and getting to know Jesus with us? I mean, we'll talk about Jesus every Sunday that we're here. We, 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 we'd love for you to do that with us. Or why not, maybe, maybe why not pick up a Bible and read one of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just have a look for yourself at his life. Maybe you could do that as like a little project over the summer break, get to know Jesus this way. Maybe, maybe you'd like to do that with someone from church here because you'd like to talk it over with someone as you go along. And if that's the case, great. Come and tap me on the shoulder later. We'll make it happen. But why not get to know Jesus a bit better and see if he is that one? who really is worth following. But of course, there'll be many of us here today, and we'll be here, and we're already following Jesus, right? If that's you, here's the thing I really want you to see today. Um, we also have a big what-if question, often, I think. Um, our what-if question is a bit different. We think, what if I wasn't a follower of Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that? What if I didn't follow Jesus? Imagine what I could do. Imagine the extra time I'd have in life. Like, for example, I'd have another at least three hours on a Sunday morning. What could I do with that? Or imagine all the things I wouldn't have to feel guilty about. Imagine how much freer I'd be. What if I really didn't follow Jesus? You ever ask yourself that kind of question? Today we've been reminded, haven't we? That Jesus is a good leader. So good that he puts our interests first. So good that he dies for us. 
Following Jesus is good. Friends, it is the best thing for us. In fact, in that part of the Bible we read before where Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he also says these words. He says that I've come so that they, so that my people, I've come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is not the kind of leader who comes to take from you, to, to, to get a benefit for himself out of your service to him. Jesus is the kind of leader who wants your good. So that's the simple thing I wanted to remind us of today. We can trust Jesus as our leader. We can keep following Jesus. When temptation comes, we can keep following Jesus, knowing that he's, he, he is best and he's following him is the best thing for us. When, when troubles and difficulties come in life, we can keep following Jesus, knowing that his way is best and following him is the best thing for us. It's good for us. We can trust that living for Jesus is good for us because Jesus is for us. Because Jesus really is a leader who's worth following. And on that note, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we look around us and we see so many examples of leaders who haven't done the right thing. And we see so many people whose lives have been badly affected by that. And so we wanted to say... We are thankful that Jesus is not like them. We are thankful that he's a good leader who we can trust and who's shown us that we can trust him by by paying the ultimate price, by dying for us so that we can have life with you. Please, Father, help us know this in our hearts. Please, Father, help us trust Jesus. And please, Father, help us live our lives following him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.